Okay, good morning everybody. The topic this morning is Torah Umada. Is secular knowledge a religious imperative? Or is it a Gaya Shazach? That's the Shaila. So uh, this is a massive topic. The transition somewhat from our Wednesday night Hashkafa discussion. Hashkashin. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> Got to be accurate over here. The, uh, the topic itself is, is super broad, and it will get into many different facets of exploration. We could have done this in 45 minutes, just kind of, you know, smearing the entire thing and doing it very superficially, but we're not going to gain nearly as much from that. And I think it is a topic of interest. So, Mr. Shem, what we'll do is we'll break it up into a few different sections. I want to start off today with some of the basic Makoros, the classic sources. And then I really like to explore different uh, shitas throughout the centuries, uh, more contemporary times, the yeshiva in Kelm, and they actually had secular studies in the yeshiva, in contrast to the yeshiva of Volozhin, where they closed down the yeshiva rather than having to introduce secular studies. There, there was the shita of Rav Hirsch, and a very different personality, but in a sense shared a similar view, Rav Cook. They both were of the opinion that secular studies were needed for the hashlama, the overall well-balanced diet of a ben Torah. But then we'll find many, many shitas who seem to feel to the contrary. Either it's bitl Torah, or certain secular studies are going to be viewed as asr, totally uh, off the radar. We look back into the history of our greatest Rishonim, so we definitely have massive Torah giants who are also experts in different fields of uh, Chachma Sa'olam. The Rambam wrote a whole essay on the mathematics and astronomy of the Jewish calendar before he was 12 years old. So clearly he was dabbling in some uh, math textbooks and astronomy books as well. That's the Maimar Ha'ibur. Ibn Ezra, he was an expert in many of the different arts and sciences and philosophy and mathematics and astronomy. The Ralbag was known as a, really a world-class astronomer. He was known in the non-Jewish world as well. He had a whole essay going through different uh, calculations of the cosmos, and he actually invented something called Jacob's Staff, which was some kind of instrument used in... Uh, finding out where things were up there, to say it in the most scientific way possible. <laughs> There's also a crater on the moon named after the Ralbag, known as Rabbi Levi's Crater. So, these are just a few examples of some of the greatest Rishonim who are obviously very well versed in different areas of Chachmas Olam of secular knowledge. We're going to explore, is it needed? Right? Is it a religious imperative for one's overall hashlama, their, their completion of, of becoming the Adam Hashalem? Is it something that it's more of a rishus? If you enjoy that kind of thing, you want to delve into astronomy, go for it, but it's not really required. Is it a bitl Torah? Is it Asr? Right? Many different uh, categories we'll have to get into. There's a famous Gemara in Menachos that was quoted in the Wednesday night discussion, the Gemara in Tzadi Tessim and Beis. The nephew of Rabbi Yishmael. Shal ben Dhamma ben Achoso shal Rabbi Yishmael. Es Rabbi Yishmael. 
So Ben Damar had the following question he posed to his uncle, Rabbi Shmuel. Kagonani, somebody like me, Shulamanati Kola Torah Kula, that I've learned the entire Torah. What does that exactly mean? That's an interesting discussion. But clearly he was well versed in uh, all areas of Torah. Mahu Lilmud Chachmas Yuvanis. How about me now taking some time off to learn Chachmas Yuvanis, Greek wisdom? So it sounds like the only reason he had the question in the first place is because I have a mastery of Torah, Baruch Hashem, Torah Shebechsav, Torah Shebopeh, Nigla, Venister, you name it, I've been there, I have a Tfisa on it. Question is, how about a little Chachmas Yivanis? So we have to see exactly what that means, Greek wisdom. What kind of Chachmas is that referring to? But Korah Lav HaMikr Hazeh, Rabbi Yishmol answered back his nephew by quoting the Pasuk in Yeshua, Lo Yomush Sefer HaTorah Hazeh Mipicha. The Sefer Torah should not leave your mouth. You should always be learning day and night. Right? So he said, in a witty way, go ahead and find a time that's not day and that's not night, and then learn all you want. Basically saying, ah, there's no time for it. There's no time for it. Now it's interesting with the response of Rabbi Yishmael, he didn't say it's Asr. He didn't say, how can you even have a Hava Mina? How could you think to engage in Chachmas Yavanas? It's a terrible thing to do. His only answer was, it's, it's Bittal Torah. We have this overriding, overwhelming, awesome obligation to be engaged in Torah study, Yom Valayla. And Nebuch, we don't have time for Chachmas Yavanas. What's a little bit troubling, though, is that in Menachos and Avsam Mechdalid, the Gemara there has a very different presentation of whether or not it's mutter to learn Greek wisdom. And there the Gemara says, Cursed is the man who teaches his son the wisdom of the Greeks. And there is actually a Gezeira, put in place, that people should not learn Chachmas Yavanis. So Tosas and Samachdal is bothered by the contradiction. And he says, if you look at the answer that Rabbi Shmuel gave to his nephew, there it seems to imply that intrinsically it would be permissible. And the only problem is it might be Bittal Torah, it might take one away from their obligation to be learning. Doesn't sound like that. That's the contradiction that Tosas is addressing. So he says, and this is based on the Gemara in Sota, he says, we know there is a hatter to learn Chachmas Yavanas. If you have someone who's Korov Lamalchus, they're influential with the government, and by them being well trained in this area of Chachmas Yavanas, they could be helpful to the Jewish people, they could intercede on our behalf, then there is a hatter. So Tosas explains the entire question of, of Ben Dama, the nephew of Rabbi Yishmael, was somebody like myself, where Baruch Hashem, I have a, an awesome mastery of Torah, and I am Kor of Lamalchus, I could be helpful to the overall Jewish cause, would it be permissible for me to learn this area of wisdom? So if that's where he was coming from, why would Rabbi Yishmael discourage him? 
It could be a mitzvah, it could be Hatzalas Nafashos, it could be helpful for the, for the Jewish people. So Tosfos says, perhaps Rabbi Shmuel answered him that there's no time because he felt that it wasn't really such a need. There's a Gemara in Sota that speaks about Rabbi Gamliel, who was well-versed in Chachmas Yavanis, and that's because he was really close to the government and that would be helpful for his particular position and his influence. But Rabbi Shmuel was telling his nephew, listen, you might have a little bit of a connection there, but you're not going to do much for us anyway, and therefore don't bother learning Chachmas Yavanis, just keep to a healthy diet of Torah, Torah Shebechzav, Torah Shebalpeh. But what exactly is this Greek wisdom that it seems to be Aser? There is a Gezerah against it. The person who teaches his son Chachmas Yavanis is cursed. And it's only permissible if there's a real need for the, uh, the purpose of Klal Yisrael. So many of the Rishonim say it's a very limited form of wisdom. You had the, uh, the Chashev people, the noblemen, have different, like, almost Ramazim, short ways of speaking to each other, almost in code, using hand signals like this, <laughs> right? So that particular kind of Chachma, that's what Chazal said, is off the table. And there's a whole reason why we're not going to explore for the, the background of it. But uh, it could be a very, uh, very tzimtzum, very narrow area of wisdom, and other wisdom could be permissible. We take a look, though, in the Sifri, based on the verse with the Bartam Bam, that you should speak about the Torah. This is one of the sources we have a mitzvah of Limud HaTorah. So there the Sifri explains that you have to make the Torah the Iker, and don't make it Fela, don't make it secondary. That your whole Maso Matan should be, your whole toil and effort and energy should be infused to Limit HaTorah. Shalot Arev Behem Devarim, not to mix in other things, not to mix in secular knowledge with the Torah. Shalot Tomar, that one should not say, Lamadati Chachmas Yisrael, Eilech Ve'elman Chachmas Umas Olam. I've already learned Torah, now let me explore other wisdoms that are out there. You might think that's a possible mahalach, you might think that's a valid uh, approach. Therefore the Torah says, no, only Torah and don't mix in other wisdoms. So from this Sifri, it's not talking about Chachmas Ivanis, but it's saying in general, it sounds like biology, chemistry, right, geometry, all of our favorite subjects, perhaps history, None of those things should be mixed in with your Torah study, but the Barta Bum, that should be the Iker. Everything else should be, should be tuffel. So if you analyze this carefully, the Sifri is not saying there should be no room for anything else. You should never be caught chas v'shalom with a biology book in hand. Rather, it's saying, know what the Iker is. That should be your maso mata, and that should be your toil and your effort in life. And if you want to have other interests on the side, that could be tawful, that could be secondary, and that's permissible. But the ikr should be Torah study. No, we talk about the Sounds like we shouldn't stop from learning Torah, we learn something else. You're saying, how does the Sifri fit with the Gemara in Menachos? What's that? 
Right. Well, from that language itself, it could just be reiterating, reiterating what it said in the beginning, that don't feel that because Lamanati Chachmas Yisrael, now I could leave that aside and just totally engage in Chachmas Udmasola. You're never potter from Torah. But the Sifri could mean that your Iker should be Torah, and the Tafel could be other, other forms of wisdom. From Rabbi Yishmol's answer in Menachos, where he's basically telling his nephew, find a time that's not day and not night, then it's harder to see how that fits with the Sifri. Okay. Then we have the mission in Sanhedrin. Mission in Sanhedrin, famously in the beginning of the 10th parak, tells us, Kol Yisrael yeshlem chelek lelem haba, Shinemar v'amech kulam tzadikim le'olam yishu oritz netzer metay masa yadai lispar, ve'elu she'ein lehem chelek lam haba. And the following are the people who do not have a share in the world to come. Ha'omer ein techias ha'meisim in ha'torah, one who says there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, ve'ein Torah min ha'shemayim, one who believes that Torah is not of divine origin, ve'apikoris, and an apikoris, Rabbi Akiva Omer, af hakore bisvarim hachitsonim, even one who reads from the outside books. So reading the svarim chitsonim places me in the category of ein chelikalolam haba, something you want to avoid. So what's an example of the svarim chitsonim? Explains the Bartanura, classic parish on the Mishnah. Bisvarim chitsonim sifre minim, and that's a reference to the books that were authored by heretics, Kagon, Sifrei Aristo, Hayavani, Vachavero, like Aristotle the Greek and his buddies. Sounds like Greek philosophy would all be in the category of Svarim Chitzonim. but then he goes further, included in Svarim Chitzonim would be Divrei Hayomim Shel Malchei Nochrim, the chronicles, the history of the non-Jewish kings, ubeshirim shelagavim. What are shirim shelagavim? We touched upon this a few years ago in our discussion regarding music. It sounds like those were songs of lust, romantic songs that would be ma'orer feelings of taiva, v'divre cheshek she'ein behem chachma, or areas of cheshek that have no wisdom to it, velo toeles, and no real benefit, ela ibud zman bilvad. Rather, it's just a waste of time. So we have the Mishnah, Rabbi Akiva telling us, Svarim Chitzonim, the outside books, are clearly usher to read, and by doing so, I might be losing my eternity. The Bartanura defines Svarim Chitzonim as books authored by heretics like Aristotle and his buddies. And then he seems to extend the whole idea. Bechlalzeh, reading other things like the Chronicle of Kings and Shirim Shelagovim and Cheshik, all of these are examples of things that don't have real Chachma or Toelis. They don't have wisdom or benefit. They're only an Ibud Zman. They're a waste of time. So we have here, right, broadly speaking, we have two categories. We have a type of chachma where it's not intrinsically asr, it could be permissible, it might even be helpful in life, 
and potentially in our Torah understanding, but the Chachma itself should be viewed as a tuffel, as a secondary, not the Iker. And then we have the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, which is basically telling us there's a different category of Chachma, which is intrinsically Asr, which means that even if I can't learn Torah right now, let's say a person is in an area that's Matunaf, where I'm not allowed to be learning Torah, can I open up a philosophy book of Aristotle? It sounds like from the Mishnah, the answer is a resounding, no, that's Asr. Right? Those are the two broad categories. So it sounds like science and mathematics would be totally mutter. Everything else, like philosophy and history, is questionable. Even within philosophy and history, we're going to have to analyze it more carefully. But, but we do have broadly these two categories. Right? Areas of Chachma that are real Chachma, and there is a Toelis, and we could debate what that is and, and how broad that may be. That's mutter, but that should be viewed as my tuffle, not my ikr. And then other areas of apicorsis, those are going to be usr. Now, it, it sounds like, and we'll see this more explicitly later, it sounds like even within the book itself, let's say you're reading Aristotle. Let's assume that a lot of what he says is actually true. Well, let's first assume you could understand 10% of what the man is saying, okay? <laughs> Ever read Aristotle before? I'm not going to put you in the spot. <clears throat> but it sounds like from the, the Mishnah and the Bartanura, and we're going to see this from the Achronim, that even if much of the book is totally fine, if there are ideas of apicorsis in the book, and it's authored by someone who's a heretic, that could be problematic. That could possibly the entire thing. It's also mashma, just reading the Mishnah, that... Let's say I'm going to read this particular philosopher. I'm really into uh, Arthur Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer. What? I've heard the name before. Probably one of the most depressing philosophers ever to walk the planet. His basic philosophy in life was, not that I ever read it before, but his basic philosophy in life was, life is not worth living. Everything you do is totally futile. Lahavdil from Shlomo HaMelech. He wasn't thinking in the same world. He says, therefore, the only conclusion that makes sense for humanity is that we should just destroy ourselves. Don't wait for the climate change to be the you know, disaster. Just kill yourself. And if you don't kill yourself, you're just a coward. Did he kill himself? Oh, so that's the kasha. Why do you feel the need to take your time to write philosophy trying to kill your people? Just kill yourself and call it a day. Anyway, so let's say a person happens to be into the Schopenhauer because, you know, there's a darkness there that speaks to me. Even if some of what he's saying is true, and even if I don't believe what he's saying... Korah bisvarim chitzonim, the reading of those books is going to be usher. Why is it going to be usher if I'm not mamin bisvarim chitzonim? Likely the understanding is because I might be influenced. So Ibudzman is definitely part of it, but it sounds like the Bartanura only needs that to explain, you know, history and, you know, different things, divrecheshek. But philosophy itself, that's a real definition of svarim chitzonim. Even if I don't believe it, the reading of that kind of work sounds like it's problematic, likely because it will influence me.
if you're talking Greek mythology, it aligns with everything in the Or Greek philosophy, I would say. Right. Well, I was, okay, I was he wasn't into mythology, Aristotle. Right, I'm saying, or Ptolemy and all those, I'm saying he said his buddies, right? <laughs> his buddies, it means Plato, right. Plato Socrates. Right, so if you read a lot of the right, so well, that stuff aligns with things like the Nuts Mason, Torah's Hamanishimayim, Apicaris, right? A lot of the origin stories and all that crud, right? So that seems to align with it, but then he like totally goes off and starts talking in the second half about this other stuff, which just seems to be just like lacking in substance and waste of time. I see, are these yes. different things which are the same thing? So I think you're making a very insightful point, Ari. I, 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 when you read the Bartonur carefully, it sounds like he first starts off by giving the exact definition of Svarim Chitzonim, namely, books of heresy. And then, Bechlalze, when he says that phrase, Bechlalze, it sounds like what he's doing is he's extending the basic hashkafa of Svarim Chitzonim. If you were to ask the Bartanura, if I was to read one of these books that he defines as Ibudzman Bilvad, would I also be in the category of, of no chilek in the world to come? It's not so clear. Right? But it, it does sound like conceptually he is making an A and a B. What I want to do is I want to jump into the Rivash. We don't have much time left even, Kanainahara. I want to do the tshuva together, and again, we could shmear this, and I could give you the, the three-line synopsis, but I, but I want to read it. I want you to be, to, to be privy to the words of the Rivash. This is going back to the, the 14th century, and the question he was addressing is, Mahi chachmas yuvanis? What is the definition of this Greek wisdom that one should stay away from? And if the classic works that in those times were, were famous on biology and other um, areas of Chachma, are those included in Chachmas Yavanas? That was the Shaila the Rivash was addressing. So we're going to skip the first part where he describes exactly the definition of Chachmas Yuvanas. Like we said, it sounds like it's a very narrow, very limited area of Chachma. But the second part of the tshuva, where he says, Amnam sifrei hateva hamufursamim, lo min hashem hu, avoroi limone mehem. Regular books on science and math, those are not included in Chachmas Yuvanas. However, Roy limon mehem means it's appropriate to stay away from them. Imheim misamsim laakar ikre torasenu hakadosha, if they are furthering the uprooting of the Torah. Ubefrachne mude hatocha sherhi nechona lehem, and for sure, if the particular book you're reading is, is speaking against the two pillars that the Torah stands upon. Namely, the idea of creation ex nihilo, that the world was not here, the universe was not here forever, but indeed there was a Bore Olam who put things into motion. And the second pillar, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not just create the world, but he's Mashgiach al HaKol, especially when it comes to humanity, Ubefrat Am Yisro. In many of these famous works, they bring proof and different indications as to what they think is a valid proof to try to show that the universe was indeed here forever. And we've spoken about this before at length, the idea that really up until the 1900s, 
the entire scientific world, right, the entire world of astronomy and cosmology, if you were to ask anyone who knows anything, was the universe here forever or was there a starting point, the answer would have been, we already know from the Greek philosophers thousands of years ago, there was no starting point to the universe, silly. Time never came into existence. Time is just an absolute reality. Space is neither created or destroyed. It just is. It was and it always will be. And if you think otherwise, you're clearly a primitive, uneducated bore. Until Einstein, right? Until we actually found out something about the way the universe really works. And now, if you ask anyone in the world of cosmology and astronomy, was there a beginning of the universe? Of course they would say, duh, right? 13.7 billion years ago, there was a beginning. Okay. But the amazing thing is, I just want to point this out, even in the Sefer Nebuchadnezzar, you, you see this, the Rambam is going through different hashkafos, and he speaks about Kadmos Olam, that Aristotle's view was the, the universe was always here. And he says this was not the Torah's view. And it's not even because you read the first few psukim of Bereshis. Because you know what? Who knows how to read those psukim anyway? We've also quoted before from the Ramban, right? The entire parsha of Bereshis and Noah. There's no Pashat Pshat. Everything is a remez, everything is Kabbalistic. So the Rambam says, it's not because you read the first Pasuk of Bereshis, we know there was a beginning, but we have a Misorah. And a Mesorah is even more crucial than what a Pasuk seems to say. And the Mesorah is Chidush HaOlam. One of the pillars of faith is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu created the world. Bria means Yesh Me'ayin. But it's clear that he was speaking to people who had to apologize for that belief because it was viewed as old-fashioned and silly. Right? So we, th- we see that things change and sometimes it takes hundreds of years for science to catch up to Torah. Yes. I'm thinking that point alone should, should shall be as a cursus. I guess that that would umbrella anything that's associated with that work in regards to learning or understanding any deeper reference. It could be. It could be. I mean, basically, what the Rebush is saying is that it's Roy to stay away from works of general Chachma. Befrat, for sure, if they're coming to uproot mm-hmm. one of these two pillars of Armuna. And then he goes on to say, we're going to skip down a few lines, V'kosvu b'sifrehem, they write in their work, She'ein yedi eshlema rak oso shehim mitzada chakira, lo mitzada kabbalah. The only way to really know something is through chakira, is through real investigation, i.e., what we now call the scientific method. But kabbalah, any knowledge we have through tradition, that's worthless. But he says, we have this source of wisdom that's not limited to human intellect, that's not limited to the exploration of the, uh, the feeble human mind. We have Maimed Har Sinai. Which is more, more all in, in embracing, all pervasive. This is the ultimate emes, even if we can't fathom it. And we see Chakira itself, the scientific method, will lead us to many conclusions that are far from emis. It doesn't mean to say that we don't believe in using Seichel and trying to determine things in a very logical, scientific way. Again, you look at all the Rishonim throughout all of history who were involved with science or medicine, everything was based on using the Seichel Enoshi. 
The Rivash is saying, though, we're not limited to the Seichel Enoshi. We're not limited to the human intellect. And all of their Chakira, all of their quote-unquote logic, where they're trying to prove things that we know not to be true, that's worthless. But Perak Chaylik, then he quotes this Mishnah in Sanhedrin. He quotes Rabbi Akiva that says, Afa kore chitzonim, second to last line, which we define as Sifre Minim works of heresy. Hayesh Sifre Minim Yoser Can you think of a, of a heretical work more than a Sefer, more than a book that tries to deny the foundations of Torah? Velo Amar Rabbi Akiva. He never said the only problem is if you believe in those svarim. Even reading them, and now the Rivash explains the Pshat of the Mishnah. Because you might believe them. I'm just reading it because I'm interested in, in what they're saying. I want to be as objective as possible. I want to hear the other side. Or I might have L'Shem Shemaim intentions. I'm a Kiruv professional, right? So I have to know what they're saying out there. Now we're going to see there, there's actually room for that. And that might explain the Rambam's work, the Maranavuchim, which he'll touch upon in a moment. But at least at this point, he's saying even reading is problematic because we are so easily influenced. You know, the greatest Raya, I was speaking to, to someone in Beis Medrash not that long ago. And he was telling me he was watching this debate between, he was a well-known rabbi and an outspoken atheist. And I've made this point before, but I think it's an amazing thing. Have you ever found an atheist that wasn't outspoken? Right? Have you ever found an atheist, atheist meaning not someone who, who just, I'm just confused and I had a bad, you know, you know, uh, exposure to religion, and it's hard for me to fully embrace it, and I'm not sure what I believe. But an atheist, someone who feels, I know there's nothing out there, and anyone who feels there's something greater than just a whole bunch of atoms and molecules and chemicals, you're just silly. Ever met someone like that who was humble? Right? There's a lot of that, that feeling, that conviction, that there's nothing beyond me and you. It's, it's coming from a deep place of arrogance. It doesn't mean that if you're religious, you're automatically humble. Right? You could have someone who's arrogant in his religiosity. They're religious about it. But, but, but this person was telling me, he was watching this debate, and, and even though he felt the rabbi did a pretty decent job of, of defending the cause, of explaining from a logical perspective where religion and Torah is coming from, but for, for weeks or so after, he just couldn't get out of his mind what the atheist was saying. And I was exploring you know, whether particular arguments that you felt were very moving, that were convincing. I'm, I'm curious to hear, we could, we could discuss it. But what came out from that discussion, and this we see from Chazal in many places, it wasn't what he said, but it's how he was saying it. When you have someone coming off so extremely conceited and gaivedic and ridiculing what you're saying, and basically trying to make your belief a childlike, silly, primitive, you know, conception of reality, even if, even if the content is lacking, it's that tone that's so influential. And you see that even in, in books, you know, people like uh, Hitchens or whatever the other well-known atheists are. 
So the Rivash is saying even reading a Sefer, a book, we shouldn't give it the, the covet of calling it a Sefer, right? But a book that's out there to deny the foundations of Judaism, stay away from. He says, We find this in regards to Elisha. We spoke about him in the Parshashir a few weeks ago. Elisha, one of the most uh, interesting and, and tragic stories amongst the great Tanayim, where we know that he went off to Derech. And there are different versions we have in the Bavli and Yerushalmi and Midrashim as to what exactly it was that, uh, that what, what his Nisayon was. But the Gemara in Chagiga, Hashem will get to this in about 12 weeks, it says that Bishoshaya Omen Beis that when he stood up from learning in the study hall, so Harbei Sifrei Minim Noshrim Mecheiko. As he was getting up from his chair, you had a whole bunch of Sifrei Minim fall off of his lap. Meaning to say he was secretly learning works of uh, philosophy or whatever else it was. And that's what led him off the derech. Reminds me of a story uh, that when Rav Cook was a young, a young man, he was learning in Volozhin. And in Volozhin, he was, we know there were the two Rosh Yeshivas of Volozhin, the, the Nitziv and, and the Beis HaLevi. So Rav Cook, it sounds like, was very close with the Nitziv. They almost had this Devekas uh, HaNefesh. However, the Beis HaLevi was a little bit skeptical of Rav Cook. He was 15 years old. He was sitting there all day with Talis and Tefillin into the Chumras, one of the few people in Volozhin that had a beard. Everyone else was clean-shaven. So it's reported that the Beis HaLevi said, be careful of the Chassid, be careful of the pious one. But the Nitziv, though, really had a, an avas, ava-aza for Rav Kook. And someone went to the Nitziv once and said, I see once in a while that when Rav Kook is learning, he has a Gemara, whatever he has in front of him, but then also he seems to be glancing down at some other papers in the Gemara or underneath the Gemara. And the big concern in Volajan at that time, right, what a crazy world it was, so, so vastly different than our own, is the, the power of Haskalah. There were real maskilim in Volajan. And a lot of it was under the table, people trying to convince others and bring them into the Haskalah movement. So this, uh, this Talmud was concerned that Rav Kook was really a hidden maskil. And when he was looking at different papers, he was reading articles from maskil. And then the Tziv told the guy, he says, trust me, I know him very well. He's a tzaddik. Don't be choshed him. Don't suspect him. So the Talmud, you know, he, he believed his Rebbe the Tziv, but he was still very curious. One time when Rav Kook stepped outside for a coffee break or something, right? He went over to his Gemara. He wanted to see what were those papers. And indeed he saw they were not articles written by Maskilim. They were Shemus of Hashem that he wrote in his own handwriting that he learned later he would refer to every now and again just to be Mechazik him in his learning L'Shem Shemayim. But when it comes to Elisha ben Avuya, right, he had real Sifrei Minim on his lap and that's what led him off the derech. I'm sure there's something deeper to it. It's a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm sure the Mepharshim addressed it. I'm just not aware offhand. We'll have to look it up. 
Now he quotes from the Gaonim. This is going back to the 900s. V'kavar shal hanagid Rav Shmuel Halevi Zal may Rabbeinu Haigon. Rav Shmuel Hanagid asked the Shaila to Rabbeinu Haigon. Is one allowed to engage in worldly wisdom? Let's listen to the words of Rav Adam. So it's not just a spiritual thing, but Tikkun Haguf, the rectification of the physical and the uplifting of the behavior of a human being, who Asik hab Mishnah v'hatalmud, that's through not just learning, but really being involved in Torah learning. Mishnah and Talmud. V'asher tov Yisrael ki limud ha-Torah yoa la'atzmu la'cherim, shikamoso, v'yoa la'ameh ha'aretz, it's helpful for ourselves, it's helpful for others, the limud ha-Torah, can be instrumental even for those who don't know how to learn themselves. Because that culture and that avira, it sounds like probably both mystically and psychologically, the learning will bring people closer to Torah and mitzvah. But one who turns his heart away from making Torah his ikr. And he learns other chachmos. Yosser may love Torah v'yir shemayim. It sounds like Rav Hai was telling Shmuel Hanagid, what will happen is you're taking off of yourself the the Torah and yir shemayim. You're a different person. And this is going to be a very interesting hashkafa we're going to see throughout. Is there a concern that delving into chachmas olam, even if intrinsically it's mutter and it's not in the category of, of svarim chitzonim? But are we concerned about how, how that has an impact on you? What kind of devekas, what kind of mysterious nefesh do I have for Torah and my overall avodah Hashem? And then he throws in almost parenthetically that those who devote their life to Torah... They're totally davuk, they're committed, and they don't question God. They don't have the same doubts that somebody might have by exploring other chachmos. That's going to need to be analyzed as well, because we know the Rambam tells us famously, how does one love HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So in the Sefer HaMitzvos he writes, it's through the learning of Torah. That learning Torah with a particular mindset and focus can bring one to a real Ava of Hashem. But in the Mishnah Torah, the Rambam says, uh, the way that I develop a Yiras HaRomamus and an Avas HaKel is through analyzing the Bria, looking in deeply to the world around me, appreciating the depth of Chachma. That brings me to a love of Hashem. Right? So all these things we're going to have to explore. But let's just finish up the Rivash. And this is double underlined. The reason why yours is not is because I did this last night, the underlying part of it. So. If those people, meaning people in the firm world, who are really getting into the Chachmas Umas Olam, if they tell you to defend their philosophy and to try to encourage you to join them, Kihu derech salula, that this is a clear path. 
And through this endeavor, you will understand God. You'll have a deeper appreciation of Hashem, like the Rambam seems to say. Don't listen to them. You're not going to find the path of truth in that direction. The only way to find Yerushalayim and Yerushchet, Vizrizus, Vanova, Vatahara, Vikadusha, this is all of High Gon speaking. If you want to really become Kadosh, Elab, Misaskim, Bemishtam, Betalmud, the way to totally transform yourself and uplift yourself above all physical boundaries is asking Bemishnah Betalmud. So that's the Rivash quoting from Rav Haigon, his response to Rav Shmuel. I want to end with this part of the Rivash, and we'll continue next time, where the Rivash now quotes from the Rashba. And this is a famous tshuva of the Rashba. He says, Osa margilim b'neihem limud belimud osan chachmos, regarding people who teach their children worldly wisdom, and the children are brought up learning these things from a young age. And they, they, they're exposed to the proof of Aristotle and that kind of genre. They believe that to be the ultimate truth and they will come to deny some of the foundations of Judaism. Now he says... The question that we all are wondering, right? The elephant in the room. How about the Rambam? The Rambam wrote the Mor Nevochim, and he was clearly writing it in a way that Jews who were influenced by Aristotelian philosophy would appreciate. He was really utilizing a lot of that hashkafa from the, the, the Chachmas Olam and even the Chachmas Yovanis. So how do you explain the Rambam? Baruch Hashem, we always have a Rambam to make things interesting. <laughs> How did he live in Mitzrayim? Everything. Okay. Don't bring me a proof from the Rambam. Why? Because Because before he even delved into Aristotle, he learned the entire Torah B'Shalemus. Right? He started writing his Parish HaMishnayas when he was 23 years old, hiding in caves throughout Spain with his family, running away from the Olmachads who were pursuing all Jews and trying to kill them. But sitting there in the darkness, you know, Besaysir, that's when he composed his Parish HaMishnayas and gained the massive Tfisa and mastery in all of Shas. So the Rashba says, please don't bring me the Rambam. Please. <laughs> Halachos, v'agados, tosefta, sifra, v'sifri, anything you've heard of before, he knew it, b'shleimus. Vekule Talmuda, bavli, yerushalmi, all of the bavli and yerushalmi, as is clear from his work, the Mishnah Torah. Ukedei lahoshev es apikorsos, and in order to combat the problem of heresy in his time, people who were influenced by Hachmas Yovanes, also, Sefer Hamora, he made the Sefer Mor Nevochim. Listor Hamovsim Vaharayu Shehevi Hafilosif, he brought proofs and uh, counter arguments against the philosopher. Lekayim Kadmos Olam, they were trying to prove the eternity of the universe, and the Rambam was saying otherwise. Ulafishayu Bismanenu Harbemius Bismano. And because in his time, there were many Jews who were very confused regarding the basic tenets of Judaism. 
That's why he felt it necessary to write something like the Mar Nevochim. But it was really a Kirib Sefer. Not to say that we can't derive Torah's Emes from the Rambam's Mar Nevochim. We do all the time and we see the Rishonim recording it. But the intent of the Rambam was to be able to have an open communication with people of his time going through the challenges and the influences of the outside world. He wanted to make sure he could present the Torah in a digestible way. However, only someone like the Rambam is able to emulate Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir, we mentioned, was the disciple of Elisha ben And the Gemara and Chagiga has the famous discussion. They went over to Rebbe Meir and asked him, how in the world are you still learning Torah from Elisha when he's now officially off the derech? And the answer Rebbe Meir gave is somebody like me, right? I have the ability to take the kernel and leave the chaff. But the Gemara makes it clear in Chayiga, don't try that at home. That's only something you could do if you're on the, the level of Rameyer or the level of the Rambam, at least in his time, he felt he could dabble in that world in order to be Makari v'cheinu kol beis Yisrael. So we're going to call it here for now. We see there are basically two categories. There's a Chachma that's intrinsically Mutter, but still seems to be from the Sifri and the Varim, it should be a Tafel and not an Iker. And then we see there's a different area that's officially, objectively, Usr, because of Apikorsis and heresy. We saw the Tshuva of the Rivash quoting from Rav Haigon and the Rashba. We understand what the Rambam's intent was in the Mornavuchim, and we'll continue next time in Mirza Hashem Yisbarach.